today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? It's a favorite of our guest today. Her varied career started as a singer and a music director where she helped the new Mickey Mouse Club show discover talent like uh, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera, and just to name a few. She uh, branched out into filmmaking later and she's produced several documentaries. But the documentary that actually caught my eye and that I was most interested in was about film composer Dave Grusin. It's called Dave Grusin, Not Enough Time, which has uh, been widely claimed and very successful here recently, available uh, online, and we're going to talk more about it as we go along. Anyway, with that, I hope that all of my audience will please join me in welcoming Barbara Bentree to the program. Hi, Barbara. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. And, you know, for my listeners, and Barbara and I all have a nice chuckle about this, this has been months in the making. We haven't been able to... Uh, align the uh, the stars as it were to to find time to talk to each other so we finally have done it so i'm uh, most grateful for you to uh, join us today thank you and i appreciate your patience oh no no, no, no and likewise um because i'm the one that kept bugging you all the time <laughs> <laughs> um as i do with most of my guests i always you know i like to find out a little bit more about them uh, as a person uh, separate from uh, what it is that we're going to talk about today. So I was just hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, where you grew up, uh, family, you know, things about your, your childhood and going all up in, until adulthood. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in rural Minnesota, a very small town near the Iowa border. And I think that um, it was a childhood immersed in nature and a lot of personal freedom. Basically, our childhood was very unsupervised. You know, no one locked their doors and mm. all the moms were at home and kind of watching out for everybody. And uh, so I spent a lot of time with animals and there was a river going through my backyard and a wood oh, wow. nearby. And I had horses and it was just 
pretty, I've only come to realize this as an adult, that it was a pretty idyllic childhood when, of course, when you <laughs> live in a small town as a child, it's like, you can't wait to get out. But um, it was just really wonderful. And um, I think that really was the foundation for a fertile imagination. You know, I had a lot of time to lay on the ground and watch clouds go by and, and uh, sort of personify my animal friends and um, be very connected to nature. And those things have stayed with me and now are really missions that I have in filmmaking. I really want to protect animals and the environment. And um, I was a bit of a tomboy, I think you might say. So okay. uh, women's issues are very important to me, strong girls and strong women and uh and then I went off to uh, college and got a degree in music education. And after that, I went on to Los Angeles, where I had a professional singing career for many years. Um, hmm. I did some solo one-woman shows, and I did. I had an acapella vocal jazz group, and um, did a lot of performing in Los Angeles, and um, a little bit of TV and movie work, and then. After this, you know, Mickey Mouse Club show with the Disney Channel, I really started thinking, you know, I could I could make my own programs. And so I started a mission to uh, learn more about producing and directing and and started my own company. And um, and now I live in Santa Fe, where because of the wonderful uh, low cost of living and everything, it allows you to explore some of those things and develop your own projects as opposed to, you know, the high overhead of Los Angeles. And um, so that's where I am now and I love it. And I'm five minutes away from hiking on a mountain and, and it's just, I feel like it's come full circle in many ways. I would just, that was the phrase that came to me instantly full circle. And, and by the way, I'm kind of jealous of that childhood. I had one year, I had one year that I had one year that was kind of like what you're describing in Middletown, Rhode Island. Mm. Uh, uh, where I grew up next to a bird sanctuary and it was just, it was magical. So I, I kind of relate to what you're saying, but unfortunately it was only f 10 months or one year for me as opposed <laughs> to a, a whole childhood. But uh, that, that, what, a, I mean, that is great. What a terrific childhood then in, in, in an atmosphere to grow up in. It really um, and it is funny, isn't it? How we don't appreciate it until it's not there <laughs> anymore, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you found yourself in Los Angeles and, uh, and, and you were having some success as a, as a performer and those sorts of things. How did the, how did the becoming a music director for the, the new Mickey Mouse Club show, how did, how did that happen? Well, I had this degree in music education and I always was kind of walking with one foot in education and one foot in entertainment. And, um, got to be known as someone who was really good at working with kids. And I think that obviously the Mickey Mouse Club show um, was a kid's show. And I think because of the nature of Disney, they felt comfortable having someone with an education background working with the kids. And so that was probably my little niche. And, um, and then I went on to do some uh, family movies for ABC and, some other things. And, uh, it, it was just kind of, you know, being in the right place at the right time and, um, and 
just really, really enjoyed it and learned a tremendous amount. There's nothing like being on a show. I mean, we did a hundred and hundred episodes of during the time that I was there and you just really get a concentrated training, you know, and everyone that worked on the show was from Los Angeles and New York. So it was a very, very high level, uh, even though it was a kid's show and, um, the training the kids got was just extraordinary. As you can tell, they all went on. Many of them have gone on to become, incredibly successful in the entertainment yeah. industry, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. I, I mean, what I am, uh, what I want to let our li- listeners know, and we'll also get into this a little bit more in detail later is we're going to focus on the music of Dave Grusin, who is a, the subject of your latest documentary. And one of the cues that you chose and the first one that I was going to play um, is from uh, the film called the firm. And it's a, a cue called the chase. Now I must admit the first time I saw it, I, I was amazed if memory serves and I might be wrong. If memory serves, it was like, it was just piano. And I was thinking at, at first I was thinking, is, is this all there is? And then, then as it continued to go on, it was like, this is working. This works really well. Um, tell me a little bit about why you decided to choose that amongst the, uh, you know, many options that you would have had from uh, Dave's catalog. Well, I'm a musician, filmmaker, or filmmaker, musician, I guess you could say. So I, I see and hear everything through that lens. And for me, this is just a virtuoso performance. I mean, he, you're right. This whole score for an adventure thriller movie is uh, on one instrument, the piano. And it's not just playing the piano. If you listen to the, the track that I've selected, he is hitting the piano with mallets. He is using his fingers inside the, um, the lid to make sounds in the strings. He (laughs) is pounding on the sides of the piano. You know, it's, he is basically turning the piano into a full orchestra. And I don't know anyone who's done that before. So I think it's quite an extraordinary performance. Yeah. Fascinating. And it's not, it's not, it's not the norm to have the film's composer also be it's, performer <laughs> you know so that's kind of that's unusual right. too so yeah that's let's true. let's have a let's have a listen to this this is fabulous uh again this is from the film called the firm the cue is called the chase and it's written by our featured performer we're going to talk about today dave grusin Thank you. 
So you know, we had started to branch out to talk a little bit about the your, your experience with the Mickey Mouse uh, Club. And it is, I mean, I didn't even read the whole list. The, uh, the talent you discovered, in addition to the people I mentioned, was uh, also Ryan Goslin and Carrie Russell, in addition to the others. Many of whom, I guess all, basically have gone on to very successful careers, not only in music, but in acting in some cases, too. How on earth did you find all that talent? Well, before they got to us, they had a national search and 20,000 kids tried to be on the show. Wow. So by the time we got to the final round of auditions that I was a part of, um, they were all pretty extraordinary, you know, in their own way. And, um, that whole experience was incredible because the show was filmed in Orlando, Florida, um, at, at Disney world. And, um, the kids were kind of sequestered in this, again, another small town, not much else to do other than go to Disneyland, but, um, <laughs> they were, you know, having crew members from myself included from Los Angeles and New York, really, extraordinary i'd like to think um you know coaches and uh just incredible training i think i at one point i figured out that they all had about six thousand hours of professional training singing dancing acting being on camera making music videos um going on tours so by the time they left the show they you know who can afford to you know give that many private lessons to a kid and, and, and they were just way ahead of a lot of people their age. So it's no surprise to me that they all became very successful or many of them. And I feel that it's like the old Hollywood studio system, you know, where they would contract uh, actors and actresses and put them through training programs and sort of have them available to do movies. And they started out background and then worked their way up to becoming stars. So it's, it's not, unusual and it's a good formula i think that works in many ways you know i i i feel compelled to ask you because as some of my listeners know i'm i'm i've also i made a big career change in my late 50s i i've started to act i'm an actor so i go through lots of auditions and those sorts of things and you always wonder you know why isn't i didn't get chosen you know i mean i thought i nailed it what was it that I didn't do that someone else did? I mean, how did, because you saw so many, so many talented people, and I'm sure the competition was fierce and the difference between people was minute. What, what was it that, what was it that the people you chose did that maybe the others didn't? Or is that, does that question make sense? It totally does. I think that a percentage of any audition is definitely talent, but as someone who has been on the other side of the table, both sides, actually, as an auditioner and as the person who is choosing people, um, the variables involved in selecting someone are infinite. I mean, it can be everything from what size costumes do we have to how tall the other people are on the show to, um, you know, where you come from to your ethnic background. I mean, it, it, and that's quite frankly, that's one of the reasons why I didn't really succeed, I think as an actress, because I just, I didn't have the, <laughs> the fortitude to, to just know that and, and, and understand that and accept it, you know, to me, that's, that's what, yeah. what motivated me to get on the other side of the camera to have, you know, to just keep busy doing things because I see a lot of my acting friends and I don't know if you feel this, it's a lot of auditioning, 
and many times a lot of rejection until you actually get on a roll or, you know, you're the flavor of the day or, you know, and that's really, my heart just goes out to every actor and actress. People don't realize how hard it is. And um, you're right. You know, you Uh, think, you know, you have to have something else going on usually to, you know, sustain you and mentally and emotionally and financially, you know? Yeah. I mean, basically the way I've tried to, handle it or the way it was explained to me is quite frankly, look, Frank, you might be, you might be too, 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 uh, too fat, too thin, too tall, too short. Uh, you know, uh, you may have too much of a tan, not enough of a right. tan. Right. Your hair may be too long or too short. I mean, it, the list is endless. You remind, and it's not about remind, you. And, no, you might remind the director of their ex-husband, you know, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which can be to your detriment as well. So, but anyway, that's, that's fascinating. And, you know, gosh, uh, congratulations to you to finding so much incredible talent. Uh, That's, that's just amazing uh, how those people have blossomed in their later years. Um, The the next cue we were going to play that you had chosen was the main theme from a film called the three days of the condor. And again, I mean, you had lots of music to choose from. So, I am curious, uh, what was it that stood out about this that made you want to choose it amongst your favorites? Well, I think it's just sonically, and I don't know, I hope that when um, you play the cue that it, it will be sort of when the groove sets in, but it's just the coolest groove, and it's it doesn't sound like a movie soundtrack, you know? It sounds like a hip jazz funk kind of thing and it's uh, got some really interesting um instruments in it and uh again i tend to look at things equally as a musician and it's just one of the really just the greatest songs ever written in some ways and very unusual in its sound so excellent let's uh let's have a listen to it for ourselves this again is the main theme uh, theme from the film called three days of the condor and again it's written by our composer of the day, if you will, in our focus today by composer Dave Grusin. Thank you. 
as I was preparing for this, I'd read a, a little bit about yourself and you had, uh, it was mentioned that you basically almost saw filmmaking as a, as a hobby when in the beginning, when, did, what was the turning point? What happened and when did it happen that you decided to, it's more than a hobby. It's my passion. It's my career. I think it was really this film in some ways, you know, I had just done some small things before this film and it was sort of that serendipitous getting to know Dave Grusin. He lives here in Santa Fe part of the year as well. And in a small town like this, you get to know other music people pretty quickly. So having a friendship with him and pitching him the idea and doing the film and then, you know, just through his extraordinary career, the quality of everything just went to another level. It had to, it to, to represent him well. And because of the people that are his peers that we were interviewing, you know, Quincy Jones, Michael Keaton, Tom Brokaw, you know, James Taylor, Jeff Bridges, all these people that, you know, you can't, you can't do something mediocre when you've got, (laughs) when you've got them involved. I mean, it won't be because they're involved, you know? So, um, for me, it was just a real uh, transition as a director just to, oh, we're kind of playing in the big leagues now, and this is very exciting, and um, and now I can't go back <laughs> 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 because I've gotten a taste of what making a really, really great movie is, and um, I, so I, I'm hooked, if you will, and, and it's been just really fun to go to all these film festivals and win awards and, um, and just have a whole new life, you know, that I didn't anticipate. If you told me when I was 20 years old that I was going to be a filmmaker, I, I probably wouldn't have thought that. Huh? Yeah. And, and funny how, you know, life sometimes directs us in a certain way we don't expect. And then it ends up being a blessing. So that's uh, right. Wonderful. That's wonderful. You I know, think it was also the simultaneous decline of the music industry. And I don't mean that in terms of, volume or output, but it has certainly become much harder to make a living as a musician because of Spotify yes. and because of, you know, the digital, um, platforms, you know, it's, I, I won't go into that, but, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a reality. People don't buy CDs anymore. They don't, you know, you don't get paid for airplay, you know, it's just, it's a whole nother world than it was, you know, uh, in the old days. In fact, you know, when I interviewed Tommy LaPuma and Russ Titleman and some of these people that were really during the heyday of the music industry, the stories they told just made your mouth drop open, you know, to hear the budgets that they had for recording projects and everything. It's just, uh, it's unbelievable, you know, how lucrative it used to be compared to now. So, And how much has changed. Now, my understanding was, was that uh, something you said actually really caught caught my ear. Um, if, if a song of yours, I guess, if you were the performer or the writer, if it played on the radio, there was a royalty that you would earn every time it was done. That it That's might right. be only t- it might only be five cents. I don't know what it is, but but there was something. No, it was a lot. Are, are you okay? Well, all right. We don't get into the actual dollars yeah. and cents, but yeah. But but are are you telling me now? I understand perhaps on streaming services, there's no royalty that's paid out even on the radio anymore. There's no, I mean, has it really changed that much? Well, you know, there's all this consolidation of the radio stations. And so, you know, it's like clear channel or whoever is, you know, just providing a feed. I, to be honest, um, most of my listening is nonprofit 
college-based stations because I am in a jazz. Um, I, I tend to listen mostly to jazz and my music that I produce is jazz. And so those are all nonprofits and I don't know how they get away with it, but no, you don't get anything for airplay, you know, on those stations. And then of course, Spotify is just, you know, it's ridiculous. Um well, I'm, I won't. I won't. I don't want to turn this into a political conversation. But, uh, I understand. You yeah, know, you read the, if you really want to know. Do some searching online, and you'll see. You know, I'm sure there are people that can. Uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there, there's been there's been a lot of positives as a result of technology and those sorts of things. There's there's no doubting that. Mm-hmm. But but also, quite frankly, there's been some negatives, and and this is one you know potentially that you're pointing out, and so. Uh, and people need to understand that, uh, and I think most, I've got a pretty intelligent audience, but I think most of them understand that, you know, part of the income stream that artists would, would make wasn't just the initial release of the record, but it was this, you know, potential residuals that happened over time. And, uh, you know, as an actor, I understand that as well. So, uh, Well, and in I, the old days, you could get a record deal with a three-song cassette, you know, and then you would get signed to a seven album deal by a label. And it, at the label, they would have artist development people that would, you know, take photos and teach you how to dress. And, you know, and you had seven albums to like figure out whether or not you're going to be successful on their label and mm-hmm. everything. And they put all this money behind you and you got advances for everything. Now it's like you've got to have a million followers on Facebook and you've got to produce your own thing and and get your own pr together and um, be a fully formed artist before they're even and you get one song (laughs) yeah (laughs) like make it you know so it's a complete transformation of the industry like a lot of things in life you know it's interesting because i i i don't want to get into too much of it but uh i had a totally different career for the uh first uh shall we say 55 years of my life and things have started to change so much. It's uh, it, the way I phrased it is that uh, I didn't leave corporate life. It left me mm. be- because things had changed so much. So I, I can on a different level. I kind of understand what you're saying. I think everyone has been affected by oh, yeah. the digital age, good and bad, you know I mean? I yeah, yeah. I don't mean to say it's all bad. Yeah. Some of it's been good. There's no, right. no question. Um, th- the next cue we're going to play is, is I would say if memory serves, was basically, I think, my first introduction to Dave Grusin and his music, and I and I I remember when I watched this, I just I loved the music. To me, it just it just fit like a glove. It was wonderful. It was perfect. The film I'm talking about is uh, Heaven Can Wait, and you had uh, uh, chosen the main theme from that uh, to play today. So I would be curious if you could kind of share with us a little bit about you know why you wanted to include that in your list of favorites. Well, I think it's a fascinating. Um composition because it goes through so many different feelings and styles and Mm. and attitudes. I mean, it's got a a lovely introduction and then it goes into sort of a, a a groove and almost like a circus kind of feel. And it's just very creative in its um, just arc of, of composition, you know, and, and because it's a gruesome, composition and and production it's flawless it's just (laughs) perfect and i find that i really it makes me smile for some reason when i listen to it It, it's fun and and i think it really was good for the film because the film was sort of a tongue-in-cheek look at 
death and reincarnation. And, you know, it, it was Warren Beatty was charming and uh, it was of the day, you know, uh, sort of exploring the sixties and seventies of, you know, alternate realities and stuff. So it was, it, it's a great composition and perfect for the film, I think. Jeepers. I mean, you've summarized it better than I ever could. That, 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 that was a great description of what it was. So <laughs> let's, let's have our listeners uh, check it out for themselves. Again, this is from the film heaven can wait. It's the main theme. And again, it's written by Dave Grusin.
So we, we've kind of skirted on the on the on the outside of the issue, I guess, or on the uh, edges. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, what was it that compelled you to do a documentary about? I mean, why Dave Grusin? Well, we were listening. My husband and I produced this together. We were listening to Herbie Hancock's autobiography on an audiobook. We loved oh, okay. the road trip, and um, we thought about it and we said, gee, someone should do something about Dave Grusin. So we approached him and pitched him the idea and he was not really happy about it. He, he, <laughs> he's a very private, very humble person and, um, knew, I think knew enough about filmmaking to know, Oh, great. All these people are going to be, you know, interviewing all my friends about me and everything. And, you know, I, I, I have to say, I don't know if I would like it if someone did a documentary about me, you know, it's, <laughs> But um, he didn't have to worry because, I mean, literally everyone we called said where, when, well, it's about time someone did this. And uh, that was just extraordinary. And um, and then, you know, it took six months to convince him, but uh, we finally started. And uh, I think the the thing that makes me the happiest is that I think he's happy with it. And I think he's nah. it gives him um, a lot of... Uh, joy just to know that there's um, a really accurate documenting of his life and mm -hmm. career. And I think that would have to make someone happy. He And he may not admit it publicly, but I bet you, yeah, privately to himself, deep down inside, he's like, wow, this was really great. This was cool. Yeah. This makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, I and I, and I wouldn't blame him. I mean, it's, I understand. I know some of these, these kinds of people that are just, oh, it's not about me or don't talk about me, but. Um, but you're right. The story needs to be told because he's revered and admired and, uh, and, and that, that, that story needs to be shared. So, I mean, it's a congratulations to you for doing that. I mean, that's, uh, that's well, great. I'm, the, go ahead. I'm the sorry. Output of his, of his work is just, you know, if you go on his IMDB page, it's about nine pages long and, wow. And, and just the tremendous output. And, and as we were just discussing, a 60-year career in television and movies, and literally no one has anything bad to say about him. I, you know, I don't know anybody that has <laughs> that kind of a reputation. So to me. Yeah, in that industry and, and in that town, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is exceptional. And being humble on top of it. I mean, to me, that's the kind of person we should be holding up and celebrating, you know. Uh, so it's an honor for us to tell this story and to be a part of, you know, the history of his career. It's interesting, too, that unlike other film composers, which, you know, that's the, the thrust of this program is to talk about film composers. Unlike others, he's had a... a He's had a, a, a quite varied and successful career outside of film and TV scoring. Would that be safe to say? Yes. In fact, he's had kind of five simultaneous careers as a pianist. I mean, a lot of people hired him as a pianist, as a composer, as an arranger, as a producer, and then as a record label executive. You know, oh, yeah, he, right. he founded GRP Records and... Um, so, in fact, it was really hard to tell his story in some ways because these things were often happening all at the same time. And uh, that was a challenge, you know, like how do you tell a story in different careers and different 
um, parts of the entertainment industry that were happening. And we still can't figure out how he did it. You know, I, <laughs> he, he, there were in any given day, I think weekly, he was flying back and forth from New York to Los Angeles because the label was centered. GRP records was in New York and huh. movies and television was in Los Angeles. And um, he literally flew back and forth every week. And in any given year, he would do two or three movies, a television series, produce 10 record albums and tour the world in concert. You know, oh, it was crazy, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that, that, that's impressive. That's quite a schedule. Um, another cue, and, and unfortunately I've not seen this film and I'm looking forward to listening to the music from it. You, uh, you also chose the main theme from a film he did called, uh, forgive me if I mispronounce this, uh, Milagro Beanfield War. Yes. Is that, okay. Uh, tell me a little bit about, the, about that uh, uh, choice of uh, playing that cue. Well, first of all, it's a movie about New Mexico, which is where he and I both live now. Um, so there is definitely an overtone of Mex New Mexican folkloric music. And um, Dave did a lot of research about really the authentic style of, you know, music that is from this region and um, one of the things he really tried to capture is making the piano sound like a guitar. And I think he does that beautifully. And I guess for me personally, um, it just reminds me of New Mexico and warms my heart because I've fallen in love with this state too. But also um, it's what he won his Oscar for. And I mm. think that the industry really um, recognized that this was an unusual treatment of, and again, Dave's extraordinary, flawless approach to everything. And um, so he was nominated eight times for Oscars, but this is the one that he actually won for. And I appreciate you sharing that. I, I, I That was going to be my follow-up. I wonder how many times he was nominated. So that's good to know. So, hey, we're going to listen to an Oscar-nominated score. This, again, is uh, from the film Milangro Beanfield War. It's the main theme, and once again, written by Dave Grusin. Thank you. 
We'll get back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. And I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, uh, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week, where we'll play additional cues as well as ask uh, some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's Patreon.com. Okay, I hate to say this. I, I really do. I hate to say this, but I, I've got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> the, you when I think of Dave Grusin, and, and I and I love a lot of I, I love all his stuff basically, but it, but but the, the the two that really come to mind and that I always think about and that I you know I have in my collection and I listen to occasionally, the two scores I love are the Fabulous Baker Boys and On Golden Pond. And you didn't even choose either one of those. You, I, I, I gots to know. I gots to know. How come? Why didn't you choose either one of those? I thought they were amazing. Well, I think it's because of what you said. A lot of people are familiar with that music. So I feel like when I do an interview, there's an opportunity maybe to open people's minds up to some other things that they might not have heard before. And um, that might inspire them to watch those films and to, uh, Fair enough. Which, which is, I mean, some of those movies, you know, Three Days of the Condor um, and Tootsie and, uh, you know, they're all wonderful films that people should watch again. Quite frankly, they're a lot better than the things that you see streaming now. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and then of course with Dave's beautiful music. Um, but I, I think that was it. I, like I said, I'm a musician filmmaker, so I tend to um, choose things that interest me musically and um, are maybe not in the mainstream just because I like to have people hear as much of his music as possible. And that's fair. I, I, I understand that response. I, I mean, that's fair. It, the, the Fabulous Baker Boys was just, um, that was an example of something that I, you know, I, separate from the movie, forget the movie. I could put that CD in and I just loved listening to it. And it, it didn't make any difference that it was part of a movie. I mean, it was, it was a standalone, really interesting listening experience. Well, um, 
Dave tells oh, yeah. a story about, you know, he, he being the record producer that he was, that they would record the cues for the film that would have a certain length and certainly were a lot shorter than a three or four minute song. Mm-hmm. On and then they recorded other versions that were longer for the soundtrack. So you're right. When you listen to this, the soundtrack for the fabulous Baker boys, it sounds more like a CD than it does an actual movie soundtrack where, you know, you're kind of going, Oh, that's background for a phone call or something, you know? And, and um, that was another unique thing that I think Dave did is that he approached soundtracks with a compositional um, approach, like complete compositions as opposed to just little snippets of background sounds. Yeah. I mean, th- th- that's one of the things that's um, sometimes challenging about, about film scores. They, if they serve the needs of the film, you know, that's paramount and that's important. That's good. That's first and foremost. But sometimes as a listening experience separate from the film, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, for, for, for me, basically, if, if I, if I liked it in the film, I'm going to like it separate from the film regardless. But for some people, it doesn't work. But um, gosh, for him, it always worked. I just, I just, and maybe it's because of what you just mentioned that sometimes he might do a slightly different recording to make it more listenable, but I, I don't even think he needed to do that. I mean, it was still good as it was recorded. Um, gosh, I mean, on Golden Pond, j- just me mentioning it gives me goosebumps. That was so, so, so powerful for, for that subject matter and, 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 and the, and the cinematography. And I mean, it, it it was just part of the complete package. He nailed it as far as I was concerned. I, think uh, I just right. loved it. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you're right in that most people are familiar with that. And when I would say of all the people I've asked, that's the number one that people respond to. But the thing that's fascinating to me, like the word that you kept saying was powerful, powerful. And so usually you would think in a film score, a powerful score would be something with a full orchestra and really (laughs) big and broad and powerful. And yet this had a soft power. It was the space that he left and the beautiful cinematography of, is it New Hampshire? New Hampshire, yep. And um, the time, you know, just long shots across the lake that went on and on forever. And instead of filling it up with a lot of flowery music, he did very simple and sparse um, chords. And as he has said, um, that he his initial inspiration was um, Protestant hymns that he just I thought that New England sounded like Protestant hymns. And so it's very harmonically based on that. But um, in addition to that, just he took the time. And as Dori Karimi says in the film, Dave never gets over emotional and he never um, does too much. He's incredibly economic and brilliant. And he takes an infinite amount of time to choose every single note that he does. And, um, and, and Marcus Miller said this too, who is a very funky jazz bassist. And he says, you know, Dave can play anything. He can play world music. He can play pop. He can play classical. He can play gospel, you know, anything. And the fact that he made the choices that he did to be so simple in that score was another incredibly brave, choice on his part and yeah i mean it, 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 it's an example of and you don't 
experience a lot of it today, unfortunately, in my humble opinion. But it's an example of, quite frankly, less is more. I mean, it really is. I mean, you don't have to go over the top in in order to make a, you know, to make it meaningful and powerful or whatever. So, yeah, it was a great example of that. So, anyway, I forgive you. You, you, (laughs) For our patrons, by the way, we're going to play those cues and we're going to talk some more about them. But uh, uh, that's that's for our patrons only. So we'll, we'll get back to that in a moment. Um the uh, another cue you had chosen is from the film Havana, uh, and the cue is called Hurricane Country. Uh, tell me a little bit about your choosing that one to play on today's program. Well, I think Dave is notorious for probably having one of the most exquisite piano sounds ever. And uh, in our film, Marilyn and Alan Bergman uh, talked about being at a memorial concert for. Jerry Mulligan, I believe, and they had a long list of great piano players lined up to play a tribute to Jerry. And of course, one of the people in that lineup was Dave. And Marilyn and Alan Bergman said, you know, we listened to these incredible players get up and play. And then Dave got up and they said, did they switch pianos? It was like, because the sound that he can get out of a piano is so extraordinary and i think you really hear that in this performance of hurricane country um again i think havana is a movie that was underrated at the time um i think it's become more interesting when you see what has happened in cuba you know over the last couple decades since it's been made and all of these films that we're talking about today just are so worth revisiting um because they really hold up and they everything becomes more interesting with time. I think, you know, even Tootsie, you know, is really a precursor to the whole LGBTQ, you know, movement. And, and, um, and again, I just think that they're delightful films that really should be seen. And um, if you're looking for good, you know, movies to watch on the weekends or whatever, um, go back to some of these older films and you will not be disappointed. And especially because of Dave's wonderful music that's in it. And, and again, another example of it, which I do find rather unique to him. He not only composes the music, he's performing. Uh, right. Uh, right. Yeah. That is unusual. There are it, many it is. Yeah, film scores who are, um, also recording artists and uh, really accomplished on a single instrument. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, John Williams, John Barry, my favorite. I mean, they all could play the piano or whatever, mm-hmm. but, they, but, but they never performed on their own scores. They were always conducting and, you know, producing and that sort of thing. So it's, it's interesting how Dave, uh, Dave Grusin actually wanted to be part of the performance. Right. Well, let's, let's have a listen to this again. This is, from the film called Havana. The cue is called Hurricane Country, and it's written by Dave Grusin.
Okay, so I have to ask, how was, um, as I recall, because you and I have been Facebook friends and connected for a while, uh, so I know the film has been out. It's It's gone to film festivals. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll want to know how people can see it, but how has the film been received? And uh, probably most importantly, how has uh, Dave Grusin received it? <laughs> well, as I mentioned, um, showing it to him was probably the longest two hours of my life. I had to stop <laughs> him, you know, and, and knowing he went into it thinking, oh, I don't really want to do this, you know, and then, but I heard him chuckling and I heard him, uh, you know, responding to it. And, um, and then he sent me a, just a really lovely email afterwards that was sort of like a thumbs up. I'm really happy with it. And, oh my goodness, you can imagine after working on it for two and a half years, you know, it was like, that was really important. Oh, I bet. I can't imagine anything worse than knowing he hated it and, you know, was, uh, didn't want it to be out there. So I'm thrilled that he's, um, he loves it. And, um, and also he was involved at the last part. Um, I, I got, I have gotten emails from all over the world. Dave didn't even have a website before our film. So now our film's website, which is gruesomefilm.com, by the way, if anyone wants to go there. Um, I get emails all the time from people. And one of the emails I got was from a gentleman named Chris Jenkins, who said he wanted to mix the audio on the movie. And we were really already done at that time. And I thought, oh, well, you know, we're done. And then I looked up his resume and he's won three Oscars for mixing movie music. So I was like, no, I think we can open it up again and we'll just (laughs) redo it. And, um, and the reason he did that is that Dave gave him his start on the firm and, or something in that era anyway. And he felt he wanted not only for it to be right for Dave, um, but also just in gratitude to the start that Dave gave him. And, and, and believe me, the, the industry is full of stories like that. Careers that Dave started, you know, at GRP Records and the studio musicians that he nurtured for all of these projects. And um, so anyway, we, we went into the studio with Chris Jenkins and um, his Oscars and, uh, and we said to Dave, hey, do you want to come and just, you know, see how it goes? And he says, oh, I'd love to see Chris. So we all met in L.A. And um, he was supposed to just be there for a few hours. And he ended up staying for two days and working <laughs> on, on the audio mix of the film. So I'm especially thrilled that it meets with Dave Grusin's approval. And um, that was really important to us. So, Wow. What a great story. That's that's fabulous. It's great yeah. to hear. Um. Another cue you had chosen, and I'm not familiar with it, is called, uh, let me think if I got this right, Thank Song? Thank Song? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it seemed to me on your notes to me that this was a particularly important for you to share. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I think it's because... Um... I, I, you know, I know this is about film scoring, but I think the signature sound for Dave Grusin is this extraordinary piano expression and the fact that he conducted from the piano bench and, and was on all of his soundtracks and just has this exquisite piano sound. And so a solo piano piece, I thought, really was a way to demonstrate that. It's a very short little piece and it's from his Mountain Dance album, but I also feel that 
at times when I listen to this piece, it is so moving because it is so pure and it's so eloquent. And I, I gather from, you know, the title that it's, it's a song that he plays in gratitude for this incredible life or experiences that he's had. And it just moves me very much to listen to it in its simple, again, purity and, uh, beautiful melody. Um, so I just thought it was a nice way to sort of end an interview or whatever for us all to be grateful <laughs> for what we have in this life. And um, it's something that inspires me a lot. You have piqued my curiosity because I've not heard this. So I'm very anxious to hear it. Uh, what a wonderful description. Let's, uh, let's have a listen to this for ourselves. This is from uh, the composer we've been talking about for the entire program. It's called Thanks Song. Again, written by... Dave Grusin.
So, um, what's next for you? What's, um, what's down the, down the pipeline? Uh, and, and, and also for that matter, how do people kind of stay in touch with you and follow you on social media to find out what's going on next? Well, please Facebook friend me. <laughs> My <laughs> name is Barbara Bendry. Um, you can also go to the film's website, which as I mentioned is gruesomefilm.com. And on the front page of that website, there is a button there that will take you directly to the place where you can stream the film um, and watch it. And then my company uh, website is jindojazz.com, and it kind of tells what's happening. We're um, in the process of making another art film about a sculptor here in Santa Fe called um, uh, Origami in the Garden. It's about an origami artist who turns these small little paper compositions into huge 25-foot sculptures Mm -hmm. and is touring the world with exhibitions that are about peace and transformation and um, so that's been a really wonderful project. And then I have another one in the works that I can't really talk about right now, but another documentary. And so just chugging along, you know, um, onto the next films. But I have to say that this film still has a very special place in my heart uh, on many levels. And I just really hope that people, if you want an inspiring, uplifting, positive film, especially about a jazz musician, which there haven't been that many out there, please rent this film because it is, it will, um, you know, it brings people to tears because they are so moved by how uplifting his music is and positive his story is. It's, um, it's just a really, I, I feel very confident in saying that. And it's not even about my great artistry. It's like, it's just what people tell me. In fact, I've been very surprised by how it moves people. People that get dragged to the film with a friend that didn't even know who Dave Grusin was, you know, or something. And they come up to me afterwards and they say, oh my God, what a wonderful story. You know? <laughs> and I, I, I think that it's Dave's music, you know, that really moves people and his incredible work ethic and his humbleness. I mean, he's just such a, a wonderful guy, you know, you just want him to win, you know, and he has, yeah. it's, it makes us all feel happy. You, you've certainly sold me and, and it, uh, folks, look, look, you, you, you need to see this film. You really do. I mean, it's, the man's an amazing talent and, 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 but there's a story behind the talent. There's a story behind the music that this film also explores. And so I, I, I just really encourage you to, if you have the opportunity, please check it out. It, uh, you won't regret it. It, what an amazing talent an amazing life and career and, uh, and a, some amazing music that I know will move you. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, Barbara, look, I, gosh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, it's taken us a long time to have this conversation Due to, you know, challenges and whatnot and schedules and those sorts of things. But I'm so glad we finally made it happen. Thank you again for joining us. I I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to your wonderful program and and for exposing your audience to Dave Grusin's wonderful music. And I'm just very grateful. My my pleasure. And I I can already think of several people that are going to be ecstatic about this. So uh, (laughs) I have a good relationship with some of my listeners. So I... uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the reaction from them as, as this program airs. Listen again, my thanks to you for, for joining us. Uh, my thanks to my audience for, uh, again, supporting the program, especially my patrons that uh, uh, help us out through patreon.com. Uh, we'll have a bonus episode for you guys with Barbara here in just a moment. 
uh, if you want to take a part in that. Um, gosh, what else can I say? I mean, it's it's a it's been a great experience with Barbara. Uh, again, I want to encourage you to check out the film. And uh, I guess there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time is up, and I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?